0: connected in a way we have not been before, and there's such a high degree of people who are seen through all of these attempts and villages, that if someone was talking about, like, you know, whenever social security numbers came out, like, we don't want to do this, this is, you know, the, the, the road to hell is is, is is paved with good intentions, don't do that, like, you know, most people are like, ah, don't worry about it, but we have enough experience right now, we as the collective, to be like, okay, we don't have this game works. Now is the time. Now is our now is our window of opportunity. How long does it last? Uncle Mike. Mystic Mark. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm wonderful. Whatever we just did worked. You're coming through on both channels.
0: Well, that's what we'd like to hear. When all, in doubt, reboot.
1: So what's going on? You had, you had some homework for me. I tried my best to to look at it. I didn't realize it was going to be an hour 45 video. So I got, you know, 30 minutes into it. But But what else is going on?
0: We'll get to the video in a moment. I, I'll bring up the speed. Last night, I recorded, I recorded a presentation, which hopefully I'll be able to upload to YouTube this afternoon. I should be able to be in a spot with internet access. Awesome. And it is a video going deep into the Herkimer basketball. Right on. I gave you credit. I said, You're the one who brought it across my desk.
1: <laughs> well, technically, the human calculator Scott Flansburg deserves some credit because he brought it. He put it on my desk. But all right, I'll, I, I'm happy I, to be the middleman.
0: I uh, I went deep into uh, Scott, and oh, I'm excited about it. I think it's 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 good stuff. I call it. I'm trying to remember what I titled it because I just made the thumbnail from Ballnet to the Living Internet. Right. So Ballnet being, I know. You know, know. (laughs)
1: for those who don't know, ball net being
0: just what we're, what we use right now, you know, it's this internet, all, everything which the internet encompasses good and bad and looking at that as an inversion of something that's true. And, and so that's what I kind of explore in that presentation, beginning with, with Scott or with, with, the fact that Scott Flansburg is introducing to the collective the, the idea of Herkimer, New York, being actually the, the birthplace of basketball. And so I, I went a little bit deeper into that. What, what he claims is that, yes, Nia Smith, he wrote down the rules, and, but the first game played with a metal hoop and woven net that took place in Herkimer. And so I kind of tied that in with Scott being the human calculator and talking about that as a different relationship into number. Just like our conversation last week, and I got a little bit deeper into the the base 20 number. Uh, you know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce it. But oh. The base number, yes. the base 20 number system. And, but you know, and a side note on that, what I found interesting was there were looking at the cultures that have used base 20 numbering. You know, it's very interesting. We have the Celtic culture, we have the Mayan, the Aztec, and then also base 20 is used quite frequently in Francis Bacon's King James Bible. So just kind of looking at at all of those sort of things, but then examining what, looking at the internet as ultimately being about number and, then looking at the idea that humanity could have many different relationships with number, and then going a step further and tying it into this generation of, of, of people who have been born since the smartphone and how their minds are during the developmental process, the neural pathways and so forth, are, are mirrors of, of the hierarchy in which, in which the, the, the technological architectural structure of the internet works. And then comparing that to permaculture, just talking about moving from one to the other and seeing where they're similar and where they're different. So I was really excited about that. And I, I, I give thanks to you for, for the inspiration because it was here is where all of those ideas were really began to take, to take form.
1: Well, you're welcome. I'm more than happy to do that, and cool. I'm, uh, I'll am add that to my resume.
0: There we go. You add it to your resume. It's, it's, uh, it's growing long. It's growing long. So let's talk about that video for a second, and I'll tell you why I sent it to you. Okay? okay. So why don't you explain to the listeners exactly what it is or what you've seen so far?
1: Sure. So this guy, I'm not sure his YouTube name, we'll get that in the episode links but he does a really great job putting documentaries slash audio podcasts together about the fall of civilizations. And the gist of it, I get, is that he he travels and he goes and he researches ancient cultures and their rise and then their fall. So for the video you sent me, it was specifically focused on the Aztec culture. and uh, And yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't as prepared as I should be. But I got through the first 30, 40 minutes or so. And I got to give the guy credit. He does a great job telling the story. And it was interesting right when they had me hooked in on the Mayan sort of wheel that they found under the city, Mexico city. Those the construction crew finds this like big three meter in diameter disc of a goddess decapitated naked, with skulls and snakes around her, and it—I mean, you saw it, so I don't have to. But it was carved very intricately, not—not uh, not anything to bat an eye at. A very, very well detailed stone carving. They find this, and then at that point in the documentary, kind of shifts the clock back to—to <laughs> to all the way in the beginning, which you know, some people might not agree with that model of uh, the universe that we all evolved from rats, but that's kind of the <laughs> supposition he makes is that there was an asteroid and, and, you know, the only thing that survived were these little mammals and that's those are our proud ancestors or whatever he says. So that, that part threw me off, but everything else was great. I, and I did appreciate the dinosaur CGI. I remember yeah. when that came out uh, when I was a kid, that was like a big... That was a big thing. They had like the the never before seen, re, you know, dynamically reproduced dinosaurs on the screen,
0: <laughs> using source material from cave painting down <laughs> <Yeah>. deep.
1: <laughs> exactly like men millions of years ago saw.
0: So so let me go and and, and and give you my motivation for for why I sent this to you and and, and I, lo- I love I love that introduction you just gave. And the way I would kind of describe it or describe the video series and this and I'm only I'm probably about an hour into it. I'm only an hour into it. But are you familiar with I think the YouTube channel is Atlantis Gardens and the guy's name is Robert? Sepper S. E. Boy
1: S-E-A. do I ever know him. So
0: so he feels so this guy feels like a more mainstream version of kind of what Robert does. Okay. Right? Like it's it like as you said, like it's built upon the mainstream understanding of, of biological evolution and all that sort of stuff. And the history which he uses is 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 it's not so much focused upon the esoteric as atlantic atlantis gardens does but at least i i got the feeling like they they kind of felt like they were they they were in the same sort of they're in the same continuum Mm. same continuum of looking at information and stories and to be quite honest i haven't watched a video like this for years
1: it's really well done and i'll just
0: it's enjoyable right
1: yeah and the only reason you know i pointed that out is to to go you know, show how far uh, length they went to give you the history of that area. I mean, they the, they start with the meteor impact that killed the they, dinosaurs. So,
0: and uh, exactly like that's like the preface part, and just like you, when there was the line where it says there, it was talking about after the impact and the small mammals crawled out of the holes. And then every mammal, including us, to come. These are our ancestors. <laughs> I, I, I laughed at that one too. I, laughed, I was like, I don't know. If that's the truth, my friend. I mean, who knows? I wasn't there, but I don't know. I think sure. we well, give, give them a pass. We give them a pass because <laughs> you know we. I mean, this is how I I try to approach at least is you take your information with an understanding of the context of how it's how it's of who and where it's being delivered from right. and. And so once you recognize that and you're like, okay, well, this is where it comes from. You don't have to then throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can, you can take the information and say like, okay, well, this, this maybe it uh, doesn't, doesn't align with, with my understanding, but that doesn't mean that the whole, the, the entire presentation, the entire video is, is for naught, but, but it is always beneficial to know, you know, where, where this, where the the mindset of the person who is behind it. So the reason I sent this to you, the reason I sent this to you, and, and, and we probably are just going to touch a little bit about about it right now because neither one of us had seen the whole thing. And what might be interesting is, if you could include in the show notes the link and we could talk about it a little bit more yeah. uh, next week. Oh, I'm definitely going to
1: finish it. So, yeah we, yeah, we ought to do that.
0: So I've got a friend. i got a friend in Lancaster, Farmer Ben. And he is the one who sent it to me. And he's a very big fan of the, of the entire video series and, and the rise and fall of, of civilization. And he is also someone who is very intrigued by the Talakiel tale. Right. Okay. And so he told me he was watching this video. I just talked to him a couple of days ago. And he said that he was enjoying it. And it was, I think it's it's episode number nine in this video series. And he was watching it and, and enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, so I'm going to kind of let the cat out of the bag for you. I'm going to t- This is why I'm sending it to you what I want to hear. Uh, but uh, I, I do want to say this. I saw there was a part two and I don't know if the piece of information I'm going to share with you is in part one or part two. And that could be another whole uh, hour and a half uh, video. But, but nonetheless, what Ben told me was the, the video goes into a conversation with someone else. So, the person speaking is different than the narrator. Mm-hmm. And this person begins to tell the story of the, the story of, of the beginning of the fall of the Aztec Empire. Because where you and I are right now in the video is they're they're creating or they're telling the story of how the Aztec Empire began following the Mayan, following the Toltec, but I always thought it was the other way around. But I'm no Mesoamerican scholar, so I don't really trust my my time frame. Mm, yeah, I got that.
1: I, I noticed that too. I, I got further than the dinosaurs, right? But,
0: I knew that was that was further.
1: But I so, I was geez. like, yeah, I I was confused at that too. How the Toltecs preceded the more ancient Aztecs?
0: Well, I mean, again, like I. The, the, the groupings in this Mexico Valley, which they are talking about, in my mind, from how I understand it, there's that a general term which they call the Olmec. And then I thought that the Olmecs then became the Toltecs, and the Tol, or, or then the Toltecs moved into that area, and then it was the Mayan, and then it was the Aztec. And this guy says he doesn't mention Olmec at all. He doesn't mention those enormous heads. Right. He goes, so that was kind of skipped over. And so again, I, I don't know. I, I did, and I did not have the capability to have internet access while watching. I downloaded the video uh, and then watched it where I don't have, where I don't have the internet access. And, but if I did, I would have probably paused it and I would have looked at some other sources and just kind of see what the, the general consensus is of the time, uh, timeline of, timeline of civilizations. But But that's not the point. That's not the point. The point (laughs) where I want to go with is later on in this conversation I was talking about, or which Ben was telling me about, the person who is speaking is describing the – I think it might be – God, I don't know if it's the final king or the final ruler, but but towards the end, and his top advisor, his top advisor, and really the the architect behind – the rise in the human sacrifice program, if you will, that the Aztec culture participated in. That this that this guy that this guy's name is Tilaciel. I mean, we're talking a thousand years ago, and so he was the high priest, and he was the one will go and will kidnap we had hundreds of thousands or maybe tens of thousands of people. I haven't heard it. I'm just hearing it. I've just heard Ben's secondhand description of it. So the, I need to listen to exactly the details that you said, but just this whole sort of idea of, of names and titles and what does – how does that change the narrative in terms of what we're looking at? And I certainly don't have any sort of conclusions where I want to go with it. I'm intrigued to delve deeper into that story and see – how this adds into it. And what could also even be what, what could be fun, and I hadn't even thought about it, have we identified already maybe some some potential holes in the the or or biases in the way that that this presentation has been has been presented, you know, with, with the dinosaurs and the we all came from rats and and maybe the the skipping over the Olmec civilization and so forth. So I don't know how that comes in, but that's what I'm excited to to talk to you about. So maybe we'll get to that next week.
1: Right. Yeah, it's saying here that Talakiel means a man of strong emotion in the Nahual. And I don't know if if I'm jumping the gun or something, so stop me if I'm going too far. But, no, please, please. But it also says that he was, during the, the reign of Montezuma I... Talakiel instigated what was known as the flower wars.
0: I I bet you that's what we're going to hear.
1: And then also what you were talking about in tandem with this, he increased the level and prevalence of human sacrifice during a period of natural disasters that started in 1446, according to Diego Duran, who's the guy that's mentioned in that documentary that we watched as the, the, Dominican friar who was very sympathetic Mm. to the indigenous people and did a, a lot to record their culture. They did sort of point at a potential bias in the record keeping, but what I found very interesting was how they allowed the indigenous people to create the art and the illustrations that comprise this Historia General of New Spain. Right. That's what they called it at the time. But the, the illustrations are absolutely just like
0: amazing.
1: Yeah. They're like really high talent, like high caliber artistic. And you know, we're talking about people that we assume didn't have access to this type of artistic material, or at least we, we assume that. But it is really interesting to also note that the word Toltec in this culture means artist. So
0: right, right, right. Exactly. There's
1: a big emphasis on art and and spirituality, and and art being a you know very important thing. It's not it doesn't seem like they they hold it in anything but a high reverence.
0: Well, if if I if I recall the 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 illustrations were done by the by the the peoples who were living during Diego's time. So this would have been a different civilization than the Toltecs. So the Toltecs, I don't think, were but the, still, were the, but but still, it's a very artistic. It, 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 I I was fascinated to see all of that, and I do agree. And I did I did hear the narrator mentioned a few times, he's like, listen, like the information we have, it's all kind of limited. We've got this and the, these guys are going to have this bias. And then it's based upon what was and was not said by the people who remembered stories, which occurred 20 years ago. And so there, there was definitely a good caveat put right there. There's a good caveat put right there. Right. And you know, the, so the Talaquiel who I have spoken about as it relates to the Susquehanna I read, and and I believe it is his own or a website which is connected to someone who is close with him. It defines Tolakiel as meaning the advisor of the advisors, hmm. or the advisor to the grandfathers, or maybe the advisor to the council. So it's fascinating for me to hear the the other definition in Nawal now, being the, a man with great passion or a man with great with great emotion. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at another website that seems to show this great elder, the one that I know you've talked about in your videos, the one who who's famously met with the Dalai Lama and you know all, traveled all over the world. It, what's interesting that stands out is it's on a website called colinandrews.net, and there's a very well-known archaeologist and anthropologist who studies Atlantis named Andrew Collins. So...
0: <laughs> I don't know. All, so, and what's also funny is, and I don't know, like I don't have enough of a, of a context to, to, to know if this is just like normal or if this is just a coincidence, but much of the history we have of this comes from a book written, accredited to John Smith, which, which came out before the John Smith map of Virginia was published like a few years later, but there, but there. are they're, they're meant to go in tandem. And that was also called the general history. It's called the general history of Virginia, not the general history of New Spain. But I'm like, is general history, like, is that, is that, is that a coincidence there? Or is that kind of like a general term, which at that period of time, that anything that is written about the, written by the, the, during the age of discovery, as they call it, written by the discoverers, do they call all of their history books general history? That I don't know. But, mm. Well, the uh, military
1: was, connotation of the word general certainly makes my ears perk up. Like general history could be different than, you know,
0: your actual history. Right. One of the things, so, I mean, and I think we all need to do that. When I talk about it, when I talk in the way that I'm about to speak, it is not my intention to, to give the impression that the whole world revolves around Mike, but in a certain way it does, but that's true for all of us. Like as we are trying to understand all of the information in the outer world, our point of reference is always going to be our own experiences. So from that level, like it is all about the individual. So when I'm, so I'm about to give this like a little piece or additional piece to this puzzle. This is very Mike focused, but it helps me kind of look at what we're discussing. And so what I'm going to talk about now is the god who was in the carving of that great wheel that you described about 10 minutes ago hmm. that was uncovered beneath the, the roadways in Mexico City in the late 1970s. Do you remember the name of, of the god? It was a goddess, actually.
1: The goddess, right. Oh, no, I wish I did it. I thought it started with an H, but I just... It does, I I remember how, like I said before, how like stunningly well carved it was. Obviously, they had put it under like museum lighting at this point, but yeah, it was very very oh, you, intricate.
0: And you like how do I? Uh, I became curious just in the practical aspect, like you know, how do they do that? And it's right. similar with a lot of the like the the it's. I can't think of what the codex is called, but it's what the Mayan calendar. Whenever you see images, it's. It's similar to that in that type of, of carving. Mm. So do you remember how they described the goddess?
1: As and decapitated, was, and I mean, naked and, and surrounded by skulls and snakes. That's all I exactly. remember.
0: Exactly. that kind it reminded me in a very general sense of and you know, probably people who are experts are gonna roll their eyes, but uh, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not, but it reminded me of Kali. Okay. You know, and you know yeah, why, what, yeah. what, so Kali being the, the Vedic kind of goddess of destruction from ancient India, she's not shown decapitated per se, but with the skulls and, and just kind of like the general feeling of at least how that was described. So I found, and they said that it, that it was a very, was it, was brutal the word which they used to describe the goddess? If it wasn't brutal, it was something in that, in that, um, in that family, which also can be used as um, a description of Kali and, and granted within these cultures, like it, it's not just brutality for that sake, but it fits into a larger, a larger philosophy of life and, and, and how, you know, these people fit into those cycles. Right. So what... What I wanted to what I wanted to go into with that, which I found so interesting, and and she's also the guy. Uh, a symbol of her was the hummingbird. What I found interesting is I've got a personal connection to Nawal. Nawal being the language which was spoken there. Nawal is, from what I understand, it is only a, it is still spoken by by um, a small percentage of people who are living on earth right now, but it's one of the most ancient languages and, you know, it would be rare. It would be uncommon for just like a regular person who does not live in the area or or is part of the, the lineage where Nahual is spoken that you would have access to that. Right. You know, it's it's like the odds aren't high. Mm. And when I was, when when my boys were young there was a woman who became very very close to my family because she was she helped a lot with with the childcare when when the children were very young she became a part of the family and her story is she came to lancaster from from mexico because and she was aware of lancaster because when she was growing up there was a Professor of anthropology at a college in Lancaster who would come every summer and stay in her village because it was a village where they still spoke Nahual and he was studying Nahual. And so she became he stayed with her family, so he became part of her family. Uh, in a way, because he would come every summer for, I don't know, a period of time. And so there's this link between, I always look at it as as like a, a living symbol in my own personal life to a connection, which I have, you know, one, two standard degrees away, but it's still a connection, which I would have to that, to that culture and for whatever that would mean. But what was – and I knew that, and I've always kind of thought that about, about Irene or Tia as we used to call her. But her village, her village, she, would des- she described to me where she grew up. She, it was uh, a small village in the mountainous region somewhere uh, in southern central Mexico. It was called Quitsiland. And Whitsi, and this is where I was at. The reason I was asking if you remember the name of the goddess, I don't. What I do know is the first two syllables are Whitsi. Like Whitsi-Coddle or something like that. And I'm like, she lives in a village which is named after that, that goddess. Huh. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But by no means, by no means is, is was, was or is Tia a brutal skull and snake embodiment of the human being. So, so I, I want to put that out on the record. So the whole story, the whole thing, this video has me very, very excited and energized to that that part of the world and that history. And, and then also how that connects back into the Susquehanna and the sort of stuff which we're talking about nowadays. And, oh, and here would be the last thing. And I think we talked about this last week was then going back to Herkimer and Herkimer as the, the home of of or the birthplace of modern basketball basketball with an iron with an iron rim and woven and woven net well, this goes this ties into the Aztec ball game. Remember we were talking about that, and when you go and you see what the field what the court that's what they call it, they don't call it the field, what the ball court looked like, um, it has a very strong similarity, at least in my opinion to a basketball net because there are these hoops that are, I'm going to say 10 feet, but I don't know how high they are, but I know they're pretty far off the ground that from what I gathered, how the game was played, like you're throwing either a human head or some sort of ball like device. The two teams are trying to do that. So we've got that link going on as well. Right. Right. So that's about all I got with that. So I, I don't have, it's, we're just kind of, I guess, painting the painting, the scenery for what we're going to learn when we go and listen to the next part.
1: Okay. Excuse my pause there. I just, I, I didn't want to cut you off cause I, I watched a documentary that surprisingly fits in with exactly this documentary, the land of the missing gods by Freddie Silva it's on uh, gaia tv and tara and i watched it a night or two ago with the intention of learning more about moo because she's been sort of interested in that culture the easter island culture and and their connections like yeah and and their yeah. con- their connections to hawaii where she's been for, spent multiple years there she actually told me yesterday that she was in hawaii when that bomb threat thing went off and the U.S. government sent out that alert that, that Hawaii was about to get hit with a missile? You remember that story?
0: I kind of remember that. Oh, man, so much has happened in the I last know, 10 I, years. I'm like, that sounds so familiar. It I was like quite- the year
1: before, I think it was the year before the you know whole pandemic thing really started rolling, but I remember that, and it was that same feeling of like, wow, I can't believe I forgot that when she told me about it. And she's like, yeah, the, you know, the government texted, texted us and I just got a coffee. So I went and I, I sat out on the back porch and contemplated my life until we realized that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> just very nonchalant.
0: <laughs> I mean, so I want to go back to here with the documentary connects, but I want to throw like another thing. Okay. Um, do you remember, this is probably maybe seven or eight years ago. So before, before what I think was before what you're talking about, the, that missile story, there was a pretty big earthquake off the coast of Peru. I want to say like maybe in the eighth level of the Richter scale. And there was, there was a big concern of the tsunami. That was going to come mm. and the biggest concern was like what it was going to do for Hawaii and there were the there was a period of like I'm going to just pull this number I'm going to just pull this number out of the air but I'm going to say like maybe like 18 hours 12 hours from when the earthquake occurred to when the tsunami would hit Hawaii so there's this this window, there was this window of time where, kind of like what you're describing when, when Carol was sitting out on the porch, where everyone was just waiting. They didn't know what the tsunami would be because you don't know the size of the tsunami until it, hit, until it hits land because the the energy wave is below the surface of the ocean. Mm-hmm. and It's not until it hits a, a shallower level that you can see the height of the wave. And so I'm just imagining what it must be like. So that would be two times or where the people who are on Hawaii and in Hawaii. This seems to be very similar to the technique which is often used within like POWs to break them on where they would get someone, take them out of the cell, lie up, stand them up in front of a, a firing squad, blindfold them, say, ready, aid. So the person goes through the entire internal process of, okay, this is gonna be it, they're gonna shoot me. And then the 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 captor the captors are call it off and then they bring the person back into their cell. But there's this 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 process which happens to the human being where you're like brought to the edge of like really thinking you're gonna die, like I'm at, you know, something bad is gonna happen, and all you can do is wait, and then nothing happens. Like yeah. this kind of like tightening, tightening, tightening of consciousness and fear and all this sort of stuff, and then, ah, there's nothing. Like, you know, this, this tension and relief. And there certainly seems to be, you know, just using these two these two examples, the missile and then the, the, the potential tsunami, and the tsunami turned out to be nothing. Like, I think it was like it was a little bit of water came up and maybe it was, it was noticeable, but it did not live up to the expectation of how it was hyped. And so I'm like, I'm curious, is, is that part of like, you know, what I would think of would be very much a, you know, a psychological operation on the people in Hawaii. that And <laughs> right. then how, and does that tie into where you're going to go with like the, the Lemaria and all this sort of stuff?
1: Well, that I, I can't say no, I, maybe you could help me find that, as I'm going through it, but I don't
0: know, I didn't watch the documentary (laughs) I did not know what
1: you're going to say about it No, no, Tara just brought that up and and it was definitely one of those moments where I was like wow, I can't believe I forgot about that because it was a big yeah, it's exactly as you described it was, in my opinion especially now after what's happened in the past couple years, it was definitely a staged event to induce fear, almost like a rite of passage, that's like kind of what I thought about when you mentioned like fear, 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 tightening up, tightening up and then release, you know, like when they put you in front of a firing squad, it's almost like the, you know, the types of rites of passage that they would do to, and still do. I mean, certain cultures to teenagers, you know, they get them all in a situation where they're afraid. They think their life's in danger. And then the masks come off and, Oh, it's our elders. And they're just running us through this, you know, this ceremony.
0: And, and that was kind of my point. Like, you know, what is that dance? And that, and you know, I mean, that is a rhetorical question. But then also, when we go and we look at it from a larger scale, and say that this seems to be part of something within the initiatory process, which which seemingly benefits the human being—that rite of passage—and and I would say we could even compare this to. To the story I told to the Freemasons, like this is an initiation, like you know there was this like build up of fear. Are they going to sacrifice Uncle Mike? You know all of these sort of things, and like there's that build up, that build up, and then like you move through it, and it's like it's never as bad as what you think it is, and just like you know learning to to have poise within with. You know, when something is just an idea and it hasn't necessarily presented itself and you're just like thinking about, oh my God, what can this be? So there's there there there's a I don't have an answer to it as it relates to Hawaii, but I find what you're bringing up immensely personal and and an intriguing thought.
1: Agreed. So yeah, I guess that connects because Tara has been to Hawaii and that's where a lot of this interest comes from and also, you know, We've been learning about the Mayan dream spell calendar, which funny enough, she told me last night that last year when we were both embarking on learning about it was the 33rd anniversary since Jose Arguelles created it. So I don't know what that means, but I'm sure the Gematria people out there will hit me up with a message. But
0: Is there a specific date? Tied to when he created it, or just like a general year, like this is the year, she, or when uh, it was released.
1: I'm gonna say she, Tara probably knows, but she just was more vague when she gotcha. When she told okay. me so, should have asked. But anyways, we watched this really awesome documentary, if we can call it that, more of a like a visual podcast. You know, Freddie Silva kind of sits at this couch and and they take you through basically their theory of how after the flood, you have all of these stories throughout human cultures post-flood of a group of seven sages who come back and, and rebuild the culture. And Freddie sort of traces them through Egypt, through Australian history, through Japanese culture, through Native American culture south american mesoamerican and just shows these like post-flood stories and how they're all very similar and he connects them to this basically this place that is now submerged but if you go to easter island and you look at where some of the um, maori heads are facing i believe that's the right term for them where they're facing, some are facing the sunrise, South America, but then there's another group that are facing this spot in the ocean. And what Freddie Silva says is that these were facing this much, much larger Island that existed before the flood. And, and this is who, you know, eventually populated the world. These were the advanced people and they shared this sort of, etymological tie with the term nagi right nagi meaning snake in some languages naki Anunaki. so they're basically talking about this like brotherhood of the serpent these seven sages of the serpent and you know they go at great length to describe all the different connections i can't retell them all but it's so interesting because just a few weeks ago i found a book called the return of the serpents of wisdom and it does exactly the same thing it shows you the connections of this snake culture this snake philosophy even that passes through cultures and you know Freddie silva connects that to electric earth energy to lyric currents and whatnot which is really fitting considering the conversations we've had about ley lines and and maybe even what the megaliths are doing you know we talk about how they're they were sacrificing people on these power spots that maybe were deactivated and the only way they could you know desperately try to turn these things back on was by trying to appease the gods who were no longer there you know doing these sacrifices it's just very very strange you know and then we have all of this negative uh association with serpents almost to keep people away from that information keep them ignorant of it you know it reminds me too of you know those snake pits i don't remember if they have them in pennsylvania or not and maybe i'm just crossing streams here but I know that that's a part of certain cultures in Central and South America that they would have these big snake pits and, and, you know, to keep the snakes out of their village, they would just like gather up all the snakes on a certain day of the year and throw them in this pit. And they do the same thing in, in Kentucky to this day, there are little pockets where they go around and on certain days of the year, they'll gather up rattlesnakes and throw them in a pit.
0: All right. It's almost as if you, 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 those words that you just shared, that whole, all of the things which you just, you just shared is like, and it's on a silver platter. And you're walking towards me and you're handing that because it's so friggin' perfect. Like, you don't, you're not even gonna imagine where I'm gonna go with this. All right. We got some. We got some really, really good things. by the way you just said, so let me ask you this: Have you finished reading *Return of the Serpents of Wisdom*? No. How far have you even started reading it yet? No,
1: I. I've just, you know, it's 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 a really great book for someone who just wants to peruse through. It's very a lot of illustrations. It's divided up in a way where you don't have to read it front to back. But it's on my short list. I've been working on uh, Michael Hoffman's book because we All are
0: right, definitely. I'm not putting any pressure by asking you questions. I'm just trying to understand where you are so that I can speak to you understanding because I've read it four times.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let me tell you why I read it four times. So this is probably 2016, and I am just beginning to gather all of the information, which would eventually become what I call the Susquehanna mystery. Like, I am, like, deep, deep in the research phase, all right? That was probably, like, a nine-month period. And during that nine-month period, and I'd already been kind of deep into it. I'm trying to understand, like, all of the different things that are popping up. And I went into a used bookstore. You know anyone who really likes to talk about going into used bookstore? Myself? <laughs> yeah, that's the one who I'm talking about. So the used bookstore I went to, and I think it may have been the very first time I ever went there, it was the used bookstore that you went to when you came and visited me in Lancaster, ah. Dogstar Books. So I'm walking around Dogstar Books, and I just, you know, I, I was like, all right, I'm in a used bookstore, and and it kind of, all used bookstores, or not all of them, but definitely some of them have this real, you know, Mystical sort of, almost like a graveyard sort of feeling. Like you know, you're in the. This is a, a living symbol of in-between worlds. And I hold walk your around, uh, hold your breath, or, or what have you. So I'm walking around there. I'm like, I know there's a book there for me, and that was the book that I got. I'm walking around. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And as soon as I saw that, the the Serpents of Wisdom, the Return of the Serpents of Wisdom. That was when I got the book. And that's that. That, that helped me so much. It helped me so much in terms of at least framing up this Susquehanna mystery story. And first read it, I read it just like you did. I I, I picked and choose what chapters I was going to read based upon at that time, like I wanted it in context of in context to the research I was doing. And there's a whole section on the Rosicrucians. Crucius. Because right that book goes through and it names all of these different peoples and cultures and so forth. And then it, it shows how they're connected to what, what the guy, I think he uses the language, uh great white, does he use language great white brotherhood in it? Uh,
1: yeah, I yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's what, what they it. call it.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, so, all right, where do I want to go with this? So, so the nature, and this is, this is, this is so fascinating in terms of, what we've already been talking about. The nature of reading that book. Like the it's one, the if I was gonna give a, a style critique on it was that it's not footnoted, correct?
1: Yeah, neither is this
0: edition. And I and I remember I remember feeling I'm just like, okay, well you, you, you say this statement and I'm like, well, where does that come from? Like, you know, I mm. that was in the whenever I, I don't see footnotes, that's what goes on the back of my mind. That doesn't like I don't throw it out. I'm just saying, like, well, you're not telling me where this came from. But nonetheless, what the author does, what the author does, is he presents a very, very positive perspective of just as what you said, the snake symbology. And the serpent symbology, which particularly, and and my, when you begin to study anything or learn anything, the first thing that you read sets your point of reference. And so that tends to be, whether it's right or wrong, like if this is just how human beings work, they're being very conscious not to do so, is like that's your point of reference. Like that's why it's so important to to be to be ahead of the story because in, in in news and propaganda is because the first thing people hear is going to be their point of reference for them how they understand like additional pieces of information and so for me in reading about all of the groups and all of the symbology which this guy would saying, I was already familiar with them from I don't know like ten years of conspiracy research you know maybe beginning with like David Icke and and his perspective of the serpent. And he talks about the exact same friggin' people from a completely different perspective because he doesn't say that they're the good guys. He paints them as the bad guys. Mm. But he's talking about the same people and he's using the same symbols that it, what's the author's name? It's Mark Ameru with a P. There's a, a, yes. Okay. His, his initials uh, are
1: map, map it out.
0: Yes. Map it out. And so, the reason I'm bringing this up, it's not to say that this person's wrong or that person's wrong, but more so of the point of reference of like me or you or any sort of person who's like, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, I don't know what team I'm supposed to be rooting for, but I don't think that's you know that's a very dualistic sort of mentality. But let's couple, let's couple this back to the conversation we had about about Talakiel. Because I was like, well, there's this one Tawakiel who we talk about, or at least who I've spoken about. Who I put up on a on a pedestal. I put up on a pedestal because the story I was told about him first was like very much on, on the pedestal. And then I heard this other story. I'm like, well, actually, the true Tawakiel is the is like the the architect behind this this human sacrifice campaign. And then you know you you have to go and begin to look like, well, are they the same? What what is going on here? In the same way. I would suggest that this role of serpents and these serpents of wisdom who go and 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 seed civilizations the the civilizations on earth after the flood. And so again not to say this is this is the good guy this is the bad guy but to recognize this kind of duality that if if you're actually going to go and look at a variety of sources you're going to go and say like look at all these different perspectives So, and I think that that probably ties a lot into even the thing which we're saying with the initiation in terms of fear, because it is also this too. As you said in your example, that in a lot of, of traditional cultures, that during the rite of passage, the people who are scaring the individuals who are going through the rite of passage, they're actually their family members. They're actually the ones who really care about them the most. So there's this, you know, you could see how that is in play. Like it depends upon how you look at it. Oh, look at the scary thing that's coming after me. Oh, it's actually not that scary. It's, it's being scared for you. So all of these, all of these different qualities are in this, this mix which we're talking about. And there's one last thing I want to say before I give you an opportunity to respond. So one of the things, which intrigued Telakiel, so, uh, the, the modern Telakiel, the Talaki who who is coming to the Susquehanna River and studying the the, the Rifts, was the fact that was the fact that there is a, a creek. It's a, it's a place and a creek, so it's a place name and it's a creek name, and it's in, in Lancaster, and it's called Cocaco. Okay. And there is the Cocalco Creek. So there's this place called like a physical location which is called Cocalco, and then there is the Cocalco Creek. And if you follow the Cocalco Creek, it eventually empties into the Conestoga, and then the Conestoga eventually empties into the Susquehanna. And where the Sus- where the Conestoga empties into the Susquehanna is literally where the petroglyphs are. Okay? Are you following me? Mm-hmm. All right. So on the petroglyphs, one of the most interesting petroglyphs is a, this is an actually, I wouldn't call this a traditional petroglyph. Carved into the stone are, are two feet, like a, a set of feet. And they're in human scale. It's not like these tiny, like one-inch feet, which are meant to be images of or, or uh, a representation of feet. What is found there are feet in human scale, where you could go and put your own feet in them. So it's asking you to stand there, almost in the same way that you described the heads on Easter Island, like pointing, pointing in a certain um, direction, asking you to look in that direction. What is the direction of the feet? It's up the, it's up the So this is where it all gets. Uh, I'm going to tie this all in together. And, I, and I, I gathered this in that book of the Serpents of Wisdom, because in the Serpents of Wisdom, it names both. There's a chapter which names the Rosicrucians as, as, I believe, the phrase they use, the European elite Serpents of Wisdom. And then in another section, it talks about the city of Tula, the last city of the Toltec civilization, and they also being Serpents of Wisdom. And so the story which has been given to me about Tolakiel, the, the, the modern Tulaquiel who came to, to the Susquehanna, he is from that tradition, that that Toltec that tradition. And he was interested specifically in something which is known as the Four Feathers migration story of, that ties back directly to the fall of Tula. So now we're going to tie this all, we're going to tie this in on two levels. On the Cocalco Creek, and the Cocalco Creek goes down into the Conestoga, and the Conestoga goes right down into the petroglyphs, and in the petroglyphs is where you have the feet, and there's also a petroglyph of a man with very large hands, which Tulakiel said is Huma, who is the last king, it's the symbol of the last king of Tula, um, is where we find the Ephrata Cloister. And the Ephrata Cloister is the first Rosicrucian permanent colony in the new world. So the Rosicrucians, once once the, the, the Kelpius cave collapsed and, and that, that the, the monks of the Wissahickon, 30 years later, that tradition set up their per, their permanent colony, and that was Ephrata, on the Cocalco Creek. On the Cocalco Creek, and the Cocalco Creek goes right to the petroglyphs, which has that tool of connection. This is what was the this is the piece which really really cemented it for Talakieel. Coalco, as it's used in Pennsylvania, is explained as an Algonquin word or having an Algonquin, from the Algonquin language family, and it means den of snakes. <laughs> okay, in Nawal the language of the Tula, of the the Aztec, of the Mesoamerican, okay? Completely different language families, or at least we're told they're completely different language families. There is a word which is almost a phonetic uh, match to that, and it's called calco, and it means house of snakes. In the Mesoamerican, uh, or maybe more so the Aztec origination story, it happened at the den of snakes, at the house of snakes. So there is a connection between the snakes and the den of snakes and coca and all of these serpents of wisdom. So what you that's why I say like you just gave me a cake on a silver platter because that hit on so many levels. <laughs> what are your thoughts?
1: I think it's absolutely no I mean, it's fascinating and it's no coincidence. You know, I think that it's funny. It connects to so many things that we see in America when we talk about, you know, where these occult orders take root, they tend to be the, you know, leading students of actual history, (laughs) following up on these things and leaving the rest of us in the dark to play with, you know, the the dust and and you know the the things that are regarded as general history you know mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's interesting it connects to a conversation i had with a guy named nathan isaac who's put together a podcast called pennyroyal the magic and mystery of place and i think you would love it if if i were you mike with your internet situation after you watch these documentaries that we're going to watch download the penny royal and listen to every episode because this that what they've done is very similar to what you've done for your area you know but they've focused in on this really particular part of Kentucky where a lot of strange things have happened including a druid and this is why i'm making the connection a group of Welsh magicians called the Gwandonic order who chose to move their headquarters in 2004 from, you know, wherever, where's Wales, right? Sorry <laughs> to Kentucky of all Where places, in Kentucky? Somerset, Kentucky or okay. adjacent to it. And this is the,
0: what's it, the name of the order? Can you say it again?
1: The Guandonic, the Gwendenic order. It's like I believe it's G W E, N N D Y Dinic, Guendinic. I think you know it's it's sort of right,
0: right, right, right. European right,
1: right. word, but but yeah, yeah just the conversation I had was very recent, and and yeah. So you
0: just you just spoke with this this person? What's yeah, Monday,
1: Nathan Isaac.
0: Nathan Isaac, because I've I've this, quite a few people have suggested they're like, dude, you got to listen to this. This is right up your alley. So I would love to go and listen.
1: Well, to and, and to your credit, I spoke very highly of you and said, you know, you ought to have Michael Juan in on one of these interviews. Cause the way they put together the podcast is very much like an audio documentary. So they would okay. interview you and then take like your part of the conversation and edit it into like a sort of, one piece so you don't hear nathan ask questions when you're listening you just hear sort of like Corey daniels going through you know whatever he was prompted to say but i think you'd be a good expert witness on some of these things not witness but you know someone to call in to to shed light on um these things because you know you definitely have done a lot of work in your neck of the woods to shed light on similar things that they're shedding light on in Kentucky.
0: So what's funny is where I am right now in Baltimore, and I've talked about the, the, the water that's right behind the house, right? Mm-hmm. So that's called Gwen, Gwen's Falls, G-W-Y-N-N-N. right. <laughs> so that sounds like the, you know, obviously there's a connection with that. And then probably about three or four miles away from here is Druid Hill Park. So, so those, I'm not saying that there's a bunch of Druids who are hanging out around here or who who these areas are named after, that Druid Hill Park was once a hill for the Druids. But I'm also not saying that didn't happen. I'm just pointing out the the similarity of what we're talking about. Yeah.
1: Well, here's another thing to add to the similarity. So are you familiar with uh, the Promise software? Uh, Certainly. So apparently a guy named Chuck Hayes was a CIA agent that was a big part of creating the promise software it was like this sort of backwards genius type who I guess I don't, I'm almost certain he invented it. I, I don't want to speak out of my knowledge base. Cause this is all fresh off of my conversation with Isaac, but what was so fascinating was they were building this advanced computer software program in Somerset, Kentucky for whatever reason. And, hmm. you know, it connects to maybe the, Geomagnetic anomaly, possibly, because they were building it in the back of a van <laughs> as the van was moving it or moving around. And we spent a lot of time talking about James Shelby Downard a little bit because in his podcast, they go into whether or not James Shelby Downard is a real person or not. They come to the conclusion.
0: Oh, I love this sort of question.
1: Right. And you know, that being, you know, something I just heard. And now I'm like, wow, I have a conversation with this guy Hoffman and scheduled for this month. And now I'm finding out like he might, there might be like questions that I want to ask him that like, now I'm like, you know what I mean? like,
0: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you like Hoffman. Hoffman. The story is Hoffman studied underneath him, right? So it's it, that would be a real interesting sort of. And know, guess imagine. where?
1: Guess where they were hanging out? Downard and Hoffman. Where? Saint Petersburg, Florida. Serious. Yes. Yes. So, Saint Petersburg, Florida, apparently, and you know. We had a conversation off the air about Hoffman's potentially, you know, extreme views. And, you know, the reason why I kind of got a little bit like, oh, no, what am I going to talk to Hoffman about after I heard what they talked about on the Penny Royal? Because, you know, he was connected to this guy, William Brimstad or Grimstad, who was connected to what sounds like a hate group. You know, of course, I don't know. If Nathan Isaac is just, you know, not going to go any further and sees that and doesn't look any further because, you know, they try to basically libel anybody who touches conspiracy theories that, you know, touch on, we'll say the Jews. Right. Because that seems to be a big, big point Mm -hmm. in this whole thing for Hoffman and, and Grimstad. And I guess Grimstad was associated with like KKK people like David Duke. So that's where I'm like, hmm, interesting. I should have, maybe I should have done a little more research. But nonetheless, I'm still going to interview Hoffman no matter what I find out. Because either way, his book, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare is fascinating. And I think the interview will shed light on whether or not he was really who he says he is, you know, because that came into question documentary audio documentary that nathan isaac put together so i just found it really like sweeping that all of a sudden you know i'm talking to this guy and you know it's funny now that i really i misspoke i didn't talk about james shelby downard with nathan because that's a part of his the second season of his show which isn't finished so i decided let's talk about the first season because i've listened to the whole thing and so we sort of left that on the side and talked about it a little bit, but I listened to a couple episodes and yeah, they talked about James Shelby Downer and how it could be that he was sort of like a, a real person that was used as a literary device and he wasn't actually behind the, you know, King kill 33 stuff. And it was, a that,
0: that came so, from somewhere else.
1: Right. And, and, There were a couple different locations that were mentioned where James Shelby Downard was hanging out. One of them, Lake Havasu, Arizona, which is mentioned in secret societies and psychological warfare (laughs) as a pretty odd place. And then St. Petersburg, Florida, hanging out in an Airstream trailer there, recording these tapes that I think you could still find of, uh, I, I think they're called the Serious Rising Tapes. And, okay. and James Shelby Downard is heard there being interviewed in several different conversations with, I, f- I think, a few different people, too. Hoffman might be included. But the theory that I guess they're posing, and I haven't listened to the whole Pennyroyal series, but the theory that they're posing is maybe it was sort of, yeah, like a literary device. This guy was a real guy, but he, he was not the author.
0: And who who was the real author? Hoffman. Oh, Hoffman
1: was the real author. Right. And, and, and they say this because uh, of some things that Alina Friedland said, because she was also very familiar with
0: James. I don't know Alina Friedland.
1: She's like, she's sort of one of these secret space program type, you know, and, and those mm-hmm. people definitely are kind of, I don't know, not the most, uh, straightforward, but. Okay. Yeah, so, and then Hoffman has this, I guess, legal trust called the Downard Trust. That's, you know, his reasoning for publishing Downard's work. Because that came, you know, that was the question. Why wouldn't James Shelby Downard have published any of this stuff? Why is it always, like, Adam Parfait and then Michael Hoffman and then this other person, Alina Freeland, who, you know, writes James Shelby Downard's biography and publishes that on his behalf? You know, it's just like, so the, the... the legitimacy of the several, you know, works that James Shelby Downard is behind sort of came into question. But all of this connecting to a place in Kentucky where a lot of weird occult groups have gravitated to, much in the same way. Many occult groups have gravitated towards the Susquehanna River. And then to double the, you know, concurrence, there is this strange Computer activity going on with this promise software, with this advanced, like, you know, they were looking into people's finances with that software and, and trying to catch corrupt politicians with that software. And that comes, you know, <laughs> in this area. We you know all the things you've pointed out about the internet's connection to Susquehanna and the computer's connection to the Susquehanna. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, the more we look in our American sort of zeitgeist here as the return of the serpents of wisdom calls it the land of the Phoenix, right? Or the, or the planet of the Phoenix. Is that what it is? Or the empire of the Phoenix, something like that. But yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. There's a lot there. There's a lot there.
1: I feel like I'm just like one of those coin machines at the, at the, um, arcade that's just like shoveling coins down like I just there's not a lot of connections today I'm just keep piling the information on
0: <laughs> well I think what we're seeing is how how you know you pile the information on it and then we kind of like sift through it so it's funny you bring up St. Petersburg because obviously I I went down there so I went down there what like two weeks ago whenever it was I went down there and yesterday maybe it was two days ago my friend Dale came down who well, I know from from Lancaster. He he came down to the place Ball Baltimore, And I met Dale. I met Dale right when I moved to Marietta, Pennsylvania, which is where I did the Susquehanna mystery research. That's where that was born and took place. And Marietta is the river town right in the Susquehanna parallel. And so he and I were just kind of reminiscing or reminiscing, just just like looking we were we were at this place here in Baltimore and just kind of talking about the the path which our knowing one another had taken and that it was very kind of intertwined and so forth. It was it was an interesting conversation but the point I'm trying to make with it is and is a month before I went to a month before I went to St. Petersburg, he went to St. Petersburg he actually didn't go to St. Petersburg, he went about 40 minutes south of it so we say St. Petersburg but let's be more general and call it the west coast of Florida, kind of like you know southwestern coast of Florida that's where St. Petersburg is located maybe central Florida, but he made a trip down there and he started and we were noticing and we both saw the same person there was a friend of ours who we also knew from Marietta, and he and his family moved to um, this town, which is like 45 minutes south of St. Petersburg. That's why my friend Dale went down there. The reason why he went down there was because there was a funeral on the in his family on the North Carolina coast, and it was one of his aunts, and he was saying it was the first time in a long time that his family had gotten together. But the point I'm trying to make is we both took the, a parallel journey. We both went down to the southwest of Florida and it was a very family oriented thing. And then we both we both spent time with this person who I was talking about, the third person his name is Alan, who we both knew in Marietta. And Alan is both a documentary filmmaker, he's like he, he's done documentaries for like like a travel channel or, or stuff like that. Like he works in the mainstream, but he does it he does it, you know, in a in a high level, if you will. But he is also incredibly interested, his true passion has to do with biodynamics, which is the Rudolf Steiner sort of approach towards understanding our relationship with with the ecosystem or the natural world and, you know, quote unquote, agriculture. And so the reason I'm bringing all of this up is there seems to be a, there seems to be a, a pattern. Like I was noticing with me just me and Dale and this guy Allen and the and where we've been in sense of place. But now you're adding in this other element with with Hoffman and James Shelby Downer and I'm like, all right, you know what's going on there? What is that place? What does that represent? I don't have an answer for it, but that's just what I'm noticing right now. Well, I
1: definitely recommend Listening, I'll send you the link. Um, maybe I'll put it please in the description. Please
0: do, please do, please do. What's the guy's? Uh, what's the guy's name? Does he put out a regular podcast? Any of guests?
1: So it's uh, it's an audio documentary. So they do sort of like seasons, record it all in a, in advance, and then release it. So they're gotcha. in the the run of the the second season right now, which discusses really like in detail more of what they found in the first season and makes all these connections to the people like James Shelby Downard. You know, They spend a lot of time giving you the sort of scenery of Kentucky and all the high strangeness in this one area in the first season. And then it seems like the second season they're focusing more on the events, places, people, timeline, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah. and
0: you said it's Somerset, Kentucky?
1: Yep, which is right right above the sort of border border of Tennessee, kind of where Knoxville, Tennessee is. And, and it's right next to the Daniel Boone National Forest where they see the Dog Man. Hmm. Which is something we talked about, I think, a couple episodes ago. When I thought uh, it was the Pig Man. The Pig Man...
0: Where am I wrong? Was it we dog talked man?
1: about a pig man or we talked about a
0: talk? I talk about a pig man a lot, so <laughs> I don't, I don't remember talking about the dog man. No, so it we, is funny.
1: We we talked about something in a in a cemetery that looked like a werewolf. Ah, in Lancaster, yeah. do you remember that yes. now?
0: Yes, yes, I do. Know. But I have
1: never heard you talk about a pig man. so I would love for you to. Discuss that unless you want to hear my connection to the
0: dogman thing. No, keep going with the dogman. Stay on that.
1: So, the dogman is cited in Kentucky and and all over the East Coast. And I just spoke with Tony Merkel, the host of the Confessionals podcast, a very popular paranormal podcast. And he's moving to that area to Tennessee just to be more local to the sort of strangeness that he covers on his podcast. And one of the reasons why he decided to go down there was because a gentleman reached out to him about a sort of mild paranormal sighting. And he was like, yeah, okay, cool, man. Yeah, let's talk. And he has a phone call with them. And the guy's like, Hey, you're not recording this. Right. And then Tony's like, yeah, why? And, he goes into telling him this really, really extreme, scary story of an encounter with a dog man. And Tony's like, no, man, you got to tell this story. So they did an episode on it. And the more Tony thought about, it, I guess, the more he's like, you know, what? I'm going down there. So <laughs> now he put together a whole documentary looking for this dog man. And it's coming out this month, actually tomorrow, it'll be available on his, like, actually the same day this episode comes out, it'll be available on Tony's website, Merkle Media. But yeah, I just, it's so strange because, you know, these guys that are into the paranormal stuff, a lot of them are are like, you know, gun toting kind of dudes who are like, yeah, if these beasts are out there, we're going to shoot them, you know? So your thought is like, oh, they just think these things are are flesh and blood. But what Tony told me yesterday, he's like, man, I'm starting to think these things are really metaphysical. And what he said was he said when he was out in the woods, he got the thought, like, what if, what if this like dog man thing is actually a person who's like doing some sort of astral projection or some sort of ritual, you know, Tony's a Christian. So like he, he looks at a lot of things from that angle, but he's extremely open-minded for someone who identifies as like a, a Christian, but also paranormal podcaster. Usually they're like, you know, oh, everything's demonic. You know, he's not quite like that. And, and yeah, he's like, you know, I, I thought about it. He's like, what if th- I shoot this thing and, and it turns into a person, you know, like these stories of werewolf where, you know, in the midnight, they hairy and nasty and snarling, but then when sunrise comes they shrink back into a man, you know?
0: What what, ex- <laughs> what exactly is a skinwalker?
1: Well I think that would be
0: Isn't that what he's describing? Is that kind of like what a skinwalker how it's presented as?
1: I yeah, and that was that would be definitely in the mix because that's right. that's what they talk about as an indigenous Certain indigenous cultures, not just Southwest Native Americans, or even I think they have them in the Great Lakes region too. talk of, of, you know, practices where certain shamans or, you know, spiritual people, wild men turn themselves into a beast through some sort Mm -hmm. of ritualistic practice, you know or 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 even into a bird i mean carlos castaneda's don juan book that's a big part of it is how they you know he teaches carlos how to turn himself his into his astral body you know and, and he right he sees himself as a hawk or he sees himself as a crow or whatever it is
0: so that what what i'm finding interesting like cuz i like to I I like the quote unquote randomness of our conversations, but I always hold on a understanding that there's no randomness at all. And it is, it is my job to kind of like see how they connect and see how like this flows in not random order, but this is the most not everything is connected. So when it seems so, so that's how I like to look at it. And one of the things which, so, so I want to just tie back that story to you know some of these other themes, which we've discussed in this conversation today, and a lot has to do with perception, and like, is it good and it's or is it bad? Whether that be like, it's not we talking about the the serpents or the serpents are the good guys or the serpents the bad guys? Is Talaliel the, the good guy? Is Talaliel the, the bad guy? But then it's also like James Shelby Downer. Did he really write it or is it just like this, this phantom version and Hoffman wrote it? Or, or, and so now now this guy is kind of looking at this, um, looking at the, the dog man and, and all of that sort of stuff. The point I want to bring to this, because we also discussed in our conversation something about, about this idea of fear. And fear being initiation or being used with an initiation and so forth. In particular the to step through to, you know, the next level, whatever that may mean within a culture. and what was going on in my mind as you're telling the story of this guy who had the scary dogman experience, but he was kind of out looking for it, right? No, the
1: the first guy who, who approached Tony with the story he was very hesitant to talk about it because I guess it, it, it was not something he was expecting to happen. He was out with his dogs in the woods.
0: He was out with his dog in the woods. And then Tony was said when you were talking about what if I shoot it and then right. it doesn't materialize. Yeah.
1: I, I apologize. I'm jumping all over the place and I, I've hit like the fast forward button through that whole story. But yeah, so Tony was inspired to go there himself after hearing how extreme and this is guy's now. story. That's
0: where he is now.
1: Yes, correct? in the next month or two, he'll be moving down to that okay. area.
0: Yeah. All right. So what I'm thinking is, or like the the the, the perspective, which I'm just kind of looking at the story and looking at everything we're doing. It, it it's going back. We're, we're talking about the nature of reality a certain level. Like if someone can go and be a skinwalker, if someone can go in and do this, if there are serpents of wisdom, like it ultimately begs the question, like, well, how what is the nature of this reality we're experiencing? Like if you can go and do that, like if I could turn into a bird, or if I could go and do that, like you know, how does what are we looking at? Mm-hmm. And then we're also talking about about fear and initiations. And I'm going back to the story in my mind to the story of the 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 Freemasonic ritualistic murder, right? And that fit perfectly in the context of my life, in the fact that I've been talking about Freemasons and I do the story and and that whole and the the reading into being able to go and see deeper levels of of coincidence within things like. That Not everyone sees the world or goes about the world that way. And what happened was I came face to face, like reality materialized in such a way that I got where I play. You follow me when I say that? Right. Right. And so now we listen to this other guy. And this guy is like, he doesn't play necessarily like I do. He's more interested in the paranormal and he's interested in the dog band. He's interested in all of this sort of stuff. And now he's being brought in. And, and what I'm, what I'm, what I'm sensing and thinking and and playing with is just like this nature of how the reality does, it wraps itself around the individual and it meets them where their interest is and then goes through that center of where that fear exists in order for you to then go to the next level. Mm. And so... When I describe my story, I can do that because it's my story. But but there may be a larger. I'm pointing out at, at a larger truth, and like each person is going to go through their version of it, and it has to do with whatever their interest is and whatever their fears are, and like going through that in order to then go step to the next level. Hmm. So I'd be ver- I'm very curious to hear about about. What, what is discovered or not discovered or not discovered through this experience this guy has moving to Kentucky?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah, that'll be all well documented. Tony's very excited to, to be making more video documentaries, but what's interesting going back to my conversation with Nathan and and this thought that you just provoked in my head of, of, and I'm going to paraphrase how I interpreted what you said, like, When you get into a story, this story becomes part of your life, right? You become a part of the story. This is something we talked about multiple times on the show here. And Nathan very much agreed and resonated with that. And that was a big part of what we talked about. But he brought up this concept that I had never heard before called hyperstition. Have you heard of this concept? Mm -mm.
0: Go right, go into this.
1: So hyperstition, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's the phenomena of when fiction becomes fact, meaning that something from the world of human imagination becomes a tangible reality. Can you give
0: me an example?
1: Well, specifically, the example would be well, let's use the example in the Aztec documentary. What if the ima- cultural imagination for what the Mayan culture was or the Aztec culture was created that sort of thing in the ground and then it was just it was just there, like the earth, you know, burst it out and that's how they revealed it. What if and in this in similar way, you know, if nobody had ever imagined it was there, maybe they wouldn't have, have dug, you know, but I, I guess hyperstition, that's, eh, that's a bad, that's a bad example. Hyperstition is.
0: Would I find hyperstition in Wikipedia? Like, would it have an entry? I don't like, think is it so. well that relevant established to the term or concept?
1: No, it, it has a couple archive and website posts, but it's not, no, it's not, uh,
0: it's not common because I'm wondering like what the people who write and think about it, what they would give for their Wikipedia example. Well, the yeah.
1: closest thing to Wikipedia is Nick Land, an English philosopher and theorist, I guess, talked about this stuff. His work, his writing began to take shape in the 1990s. It's been described as theory fiction, but it, it's sort of this concept that, you know, fiction plays itself out in the real world regardless because you create it, and it becomes a thing in the imagination, like the tulpa, and then, and then is born. You know, it's like germinating like in the in, in the imaginative realm, and then it's sort of like
0: created in the physical. And which then would go to the of of like the question of like, well, it's it's these are questions of like the nature of reality, or these are our thoughts in terms of of the nature of reality, because it's like is he he's saying that it's an actual thing. Ooh, like here's a, how it works.
1: Let me give you an even better. I got a better one for you. Hyperstition is a neologism that combines the word hyper and superstition to describe the action of successful ideas in the arena of culture. It's, it's akin to the concept of memes. Hyperstition works at the deeper evolutionary level of social organization, in that they influence the course taken by cultural evolution. Unlike memes, however, hyperstitions describe a specific category of ideas. Functioning as magical sigils or engineering diagrams, Hyperstitions are ideas that once downloaded into the cultural mainframe engender apocalyptic positive feedback cycles.
0: So I'm still confused <laughs> as whether, like does he, is this looked at as like, is it is it that this is they're they're saying that this is how it works, or they're saying like this is just like kind of like a theory to describe something? Like I'm still cons- uh, confused if this is conceptual or if they're saying that this is a description of a mechanism.
1: It's conceptual. I think it's it's something that this guy Nick Land proposed, and and yeah, Nathan Isaac brought it up as a concept that fits into what he's been
0: experience. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it's like more or less like what I just described. It's a naming of that.
1: Right. It's almost like this same vein as people describe the mandala effect or even synchronicity. It's one of the, right.
0: Right. Okay. I gotcha. Do you, did you say you read through the entire, the entire secret society and psychological warfare yet? Are you finished with that?
1: No, I'm past the fun part in the middle where there's all the pictures though.
0: You passed the I'm, fun part of
1: yeah. the picture. Card. I'm like so, I'm more than halfway through. I'm about three fourths through.
0: So, in the very back, if you look at, I, I'm pretty certain back, not the front. <coughs> Excuse me. There is, I think, three or four lines that talks about the word Warwick.
1: Mm, yeah, it says you Wicker Man, Wicker yeah, Man, yeah, Wicked yeah. King, Wicker, Wickle, and Warwick.
0: So – and he talks about that, the, the the idea of the wicker and the wick and what that means and to bend. Because that's what he was talking about is like the bending and the wick and the bending of reality and all that sort of stuff. Right. So I just want to point out that that's where this Nick Land guy, he was he was a lecturer from the University of Warwick. So I found that was oh. – <laughs> Wow, I found that was kind of interesting.
1: Are you just looking so, that up right now?
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at it up right now. I pulled that up while we were talking. Yeah. So, all right, my friend. I think that we covered a lot today. <laughs> yes. Is there is there any more? Because I, I feel like we should be wrapping up, but I don't want to cut you off. If, no, if no, no, no.
1: I think what would be cool is if we take today's conversation, tie up some loose ends next time, and just kind of both of us already said we were going to finish watching the Aztec Video initially, mm-hmm. and and I'm gonna take some more time in this Return of the Serpents of Wisdom book, and let's let's revisit so when, those things in the
0: in the Serpents of Wisdom. I would suggest like for you to focus your energy. Look at the look at the part about I don't know if the chapter is called Mesoamerica or if the chapter is called um, the text but be certain to read that, and then also read. There may there even may be an index. If if there's an index, look for Tula. And then also look look at the Rosicrucians in there. too. So. all right, cool. Well, thank all you, right, Mike. Mark, appreciate it. Another good conversation in the bag.
1: Anything you want to tell the listeners before we go?
0: Thank you for listening. You know, it's it's I I feel like there's a whole bunch of new stuff which I'm about to start working on or i've been working on it but start releasing it and so i'm excited for that and, and
1: awesome and please do send me that video that you're going to publish today send me the link and we'll put it in the episode description for this episode so folks can go and check that out because i think that these two things will release on the same day so
0: yeah and any of you folks who are in the baltimore area if you want to come by and check out the place Send me an email. I've already had like five or six people come by and do that. It's been uh, a lot of fun meeting people face to face. I'm calling it a Moose conference.
1: Right on. A Moose?
0: Yeah. M-O-O-Z. Okay. Back, reverse, and zoom. (laughs) Because we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it in the real.
1: I love it. It kind of sounds like Muse.
0: Right. It sounds like Muse. Love it. All right. Cool,
1: man. All All right. right, Mark. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. Peace out.